Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steed. What are we listening to? What is what is the person who's listening to this listening to? Nice save. Um, <laughs> we're listening to a lot of hair metal because we are watching The Wrestler today with Gabby Dunn. Hell yeah. You're listening to Why Are Dads, which is a show in which uh, we talk about feelings and emotions and having been people raised with or without dads, and we talk about what that means. We got some interesting feedback recently because we released our Dark Knight episode on the You're Wrong About feed. I know somebody over there. That is me. <laughs> and I saw someone be like, oh, wow, I thought your show was only about bad dads, so I didn't listen before. And then someone else was like, oh, I thought your show was only about good dads, <laughs> so I didn't listen before. And I just find that interesting. <laughs> I mean, I can't say that they should have thought it was about something else because I, I still find the title mysterious. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's just interesting that, like, the way the word dad is freighted with feelings makes some people assume that like cultural conversations about it just have to be in a certain light. It's a real Rorschach test. Yeah, for sure. Because I think about it a lot. I mean, my background is in is in marketing and branding. So I think mm. a lot about what words imply versus what they are actually meant to say. And I think I think at the front end of the show, we thought a lot about talking explicitly about dads and then we realized that that was just an avenue for talking about bigger things like why our friend randy the ram can't get out of his own fucking way poor randy we love randy i have thought of randy many times since we recorded oh my god me too can i read to you uh, a little something that carolyn was reading and she brought to my attention in the context of this show yeah so we have in the past had your great friend and a, a person who I enjoy quite a bit. That sounds so weird, like I'm being passive aggressive. We, we can both be your friend, <laughs> even though you've never met her in real life, but you've made a show together. Right, exactly. I feel like I don't want to be that person who asserts that I'm someone's friend on their behalf. But yeah. Claire Comstack Gay came on our show and talked about Moonstruck. Mm -hmm. She's the author of a book called Guide to the Stars, Astrology, Our Icons, and Ourselves. And it struck me after I read this that Randy is a ram and a ram is, is an Aries, right? So, Oh, yeah. But I mean, I don't think that that necessarily applies in this situation. Mm. So here it is. Within the vast and scattered landscape of internet visuals, there exists a gif, some would say a gif, but they'd be wrong even though they're right, um, of wrestler Chuck Taylor, Chuck E.T., standing in the corner of the ring, densely muscled and sweaty, and yet so seemingly relaxed that it takes a moment to even notice his opponent is there too, slumped against the ropes. Simultaneously and smiling all the while, Chuck pushes his opponent's head down, grabs him under the armpits as though to haul him back to the corner of the ring and says to the camera languid and grinning as if to explain to himself i'm a taurus <laughs> <laughs> participation in a combat sport seems at first glance totally opposed to ferdinand's preference for bucolic nonviolence. yet everything about this two-second gif the brawn tempered with good-natured sweetness, the luxurious enjoyment of what one's own body can do, somehow still seems to match. Of course this brawny muscle head with a seductive smile as a Taurus. Of course it would be a wrestler who could show us, with intimacy and good humor, how to honor the power and pleasure and possibility that our physical bodies hold. 
Hmm. I love that. We're Tauruses. We're Tauruses. And I remember when Claire was writing this book, and I remember talking about this chapter and being really excited that the Taurus chapter was going to be wrestlers because that included, I believe, Andre the Giant and John Cena, both. Yes. So first of all, you already said this, but I just want to make sure people know that we have Gabby done on the show. And I knew who Gabby was. I've seen some of her work over the years, but it didn't fully gel what we were in store for and i just had a blast with her <laughs> show. Uh-huh. do you have hulkamania do you have gabamania i have gabamania <laughs> <laughs> the one other thing i want to know is um we haven't done this before but we're going to release a playlist to Yay. accompany this episode we'll put it in the show notes and it'll we'll put it on twitter and elsewhere we've all contributed songs that we feel contribute to the vibe of the wrestler the mm-hmm. vibe of this conversation our vibe lots of vibe Mm -hmm. from uh, gabby uh, sarah and i here (laughs) it was great just imagine us like all sitting in a hot tub in a motel like drinking those gross and yet also intriguing looking like those budweiser's with stuff in them like a limerita or whatever and we're like being kind of like loud and belligerent but no one wants to go over and tell us (laughs) to be quieter yeah so if you want to join that jacuzzi party we had at an imaginary hotel you can check out this playlist and listen to some quiet riot (laughs) tell me about that quiet riot song quickly yeah so i (laughs) alex you sent an email to me and gabby suggesting this playlist idea and I like immediately without having to think about this at all came up with four songs that I felt very strongly (laughs) needed to be on there and one of them was Thunderbird by Quiet Riot who did of course I think its title is Bang Your Head parentheses Metal Health (laughs) Um, (laughs) which is a song that we open this movie with and which is an eternal classic in my opinion and and I when I was in grad school especially just like I mean I've always Loved it, but like went through this period where I was listening to a lot of cheesy and sincere and beautiful hair metal and was just finding all of these songs that don't necessarily get radio play anymore, but which are really special. And I love it when a band will like take a moment to have some feelings, and that's what Thunderbird is. Yeah. And I was listening to it. <laughs> in the car today and I was like oh this is like a passive aggressive saying goodbye to your girlfriend who's clearly the instigator of the breakup song (laughs) I don't care it's great (laughs) oh it's so good and so yeah there's there's some songs from the era and bands of the era and there's some other songs so hopefully uh hopefully you will listen and enjoy so I hadn't seen this movie since it came out Mm. I was a huge fan of it when it came out in part because I just think it's a great movie. Mm -hmm. I I had a lot of (laughs) fun is not exactly the right, the right word, but I enjoyed it quite a bit when it came out, but I also adore Mickey Rourke. Yeah. I think that he probably wasn't playing a character Mm. here in some ways. And he's a boxer, right? Like he boxed for a long time. He's a boxer. He also went through a long phase in which he was on top of the world and then was not anymore by you know in in hollywood he went through a phase where he got to lightly swat kim basinger on the butt with a writing crop in a movie that like (laughs) no one admitted to loving but everybody had on video like that was he was so important he invented sex i think mickey rourke did he sure did for white people yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> he, he he's in one of my top probably top five favorite movies the pope of greenwich village which i've never seen oh it's him in eric roberts mm. as just this the sweatiest skeeviest near-do-wells in 80s greenwich village <laughs> i really love him in angel heart which is oh, such a sure. strange strange movie but i love performances where men really cry and he really cries in that one that's not the only reason i have but yeah he was this very this very special actor who was like dead sexy made a string of hits like just and felt a little bit there's a sort of like crackly sort of young brando energy around him i would say yes i agree and i think not unlike Brando, although we know Brando was fucked up in a lot of ways, but I think Mickey Rourke was probably very difficult to be around sometimes. Hollywood is a place where people rise and fall very quickly, as you know, and and tell stories about on a regular basis. Hmm. What stuck out for you this viewing of, uh, of The Wrestler? Was this your first time? This is my first time. I had never seen this before either. And so I really didn't know how the story was going to end. But, you know, movies are movies. I kind of suspected that maybe, you know, it would... People do reshoots. Like, this could have ended uh, happier than it did, but it did not. This movie stayed true to its story the entire time, and the ending is is grim as a result. And so, yeah, this was really rough. Like, I find these slow, quiet character studies, which a lot of this is. Like, I love how much of this movie is, like, watching this guy live his life like we open really slow like there's quite some time passes before we really get a story introduced like we're Mm. really opening by spending a lot of time being like what is it like to be a 50 year old wrestler who's you know ruining his body for very small audiences and very little money we'll tell you what it's like it's like this and just sort of methodically following this guy through sort of the mundane activities of his existence, like showing him putting on his glasses and reading his paperback and getting locked out of his house when he doesn't have enough rent and going to the dollar store to try and get some wrestling props. Just like spending time watching someone live their life is to me like something that I wish we saw more of because I feel like there's such pressure to get people like in a story immediately and like i like stories but like i also like just sort of watching some guy named randy doing his thing and i also think that that really makes you potentially feel very bonded with the character over time like if you're just sort of quietly with them like it just it does something to your feeling of presence in their life i think to me it really it made me feel this like a lot of intimacy with this character and yeah I wanted things to to work out differently. Yeah. You know, one of the things we didn't talk about, I mean, he obviously represents America because this kind of wrestler, particularly in combat with pan-Arabic character in 80s wrestling, did represent that, you know, represents America's fall in a lot of ways. But Mm -hmm. we we didn't really talk about the Cold War politics Mm. of what wrestling was like. And I think that that's fine. Maybe that's for another episode. But I do strongly encourage people, if you like this movie and you don't know that this exists, there's a great wrestling documentary that came out at uh, the turn of this century called Beyond the Mat. I didn't know about that documentary. So there you go. Oh, you'll love it. It tells the story of a lot of different wrestlers, but it tells the story of Jake the Snake in particular and his 
arc is almost exactly right down to mm. the relationship with his daughter, who is in also in the documentary, is very much Randy's personal arc. So mm. if you like this and you want more of it, uh, <laughs> spend some time with Jake the Snake and his daughter and his crack addiction. Mm. It's really great. You get to see a lot of these wrestlers, as, as you just said, as people and spend time with them as people. And I, I really love that documentary. Yeah, I got to watch that. We talked a little bit about hair metal, too, in this episode. <laughs> I just like how these two worlds seem connected, you know, that that was nice. You know, I think there's so many reasons for people to have expressed themselves with the hair and clothes of that world. But I feel like one of them is like young guys feeling like it's the most masculine thing they could do in a way, which I really love. Yeah, that's great. Oh, it was a time. All right. Any parting words of wisdom to people who are about to endeavor into this episode? Yeah, I guess I I hope that you're ready to I don't even know what what words wrestling people say, but like we're all hanging out and doing I don't know. I think you're going to say I hope you're ready to rumble, which yeah, is Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I was getting there. I love repackaging let's get ready to rumble with I hope you're just ready to hang out. <laughs> 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 Hey, uh, just a few more quick things before we start. First, Wire Dads is made possible with support by Knack Factory, which is a commercial and creative content video production company based in Portland, Maine, that does work all over these wonderful United States and elsewhere. If that's the kind of work that you need done, get in touch with the folks at Knack Factory. Second, it is also made possible by you. Thank you so much to our wonderful Patreon supporters. Uh, you can find bonus content. You can find uh, somewhat regular bonus episodes, you know, like two or three ish a month not to commit ourselves to anything in particular but that's around uh, what happens if you're able to support us there and you're doing that thank you so much and if you're not able to support us we are just happy that you're here it is a hell of a ride and it's a uh, it's made great by you all hanging out with us so thank you so much one other thing, I typically talk about the music at the end of the show, but you're going to hear a performance by Carolyn Kendrick, who's our producer and our music director, covering Bruce Springsteen's The Wrestler. And in this performance, she's joined by Ethan Hawkins, who is in a band called Corner House. And they have a new record coming out called Caribou Party. Uh, Ethan is a singer and guitarist in this band. He's really great, has some great songs. Uh, these are great people. And they have a record coming out. So please keep an out for that and listen for carolyn and ethan's rendition of the wrestler by a fellow podcaster bruce springsteen <laughs> all right let's go talk about randy the rim the wrestler with our friend gabby dunn i just want to tell you i'm the one who is supposed to take care of everything I'm the one who was supposed to make everything okay for everybody. But it just didn't work out like that. And I left. I left you. You never did anything wrong. You know? I used to try to... Oh, forget about you. <laughs> I used to try to pretend that you didn't exist. But I can't. You're my girl. You're my little girl. I'm an old broken down piece of meat. And I'm alone. And I deserve to be all alone. 
I just don't want you to hate me. Gabby, quick question. Why did you select The Wrestler? Okay, so I picked The Wrestler because, one, when it came out, I loved it. Mm-hmm. And it's not in my usual wheel. Actually, I don't know. It's it, Maybe it is in my usual wheelhouse of I like dude movies. Mm. But I, I loved it. I, like, changed my ringtone to Sweet Child of Mine because <laughs> of it. Um, I thought it was great. One of my other favorite movies at the time was The Departed. Oh, like, wow. I was just on some weird dude movie journey Hmm. and also i picked it because we're talking about dads and i come from an alcoholic and an addict home Hmm. and my dad was an addict and an alcoholic and so i related to the relationship between him and his daughter stephanie and i remembered when we were like okay we're gonna do a podcast about dads i remembered that that was a big part of that movie and that part of what i wanted to talk about with you guys is the alcoholic fuck-up dad as a figure. Oh, good. I'm so... Okay, good. I'm glad that we're going to talk about that. Me too. And you know what's really wonderful is that, like, right before... I think, like, last night, before I watched this movie, someone tweeted, Why are dads? You should talk about Pretty in Pink, because I'm watching it, and I am I forgot Harry Dean Stanton was in it. And I'm like, I think, like, every day about how Harry... Dean Stanton was in Pretty in Pink. And I was thinking about Pretty in Pink and how I love that portrayal because it's always so wonderful when you see a dad in a movie do something that is exactly like what your dad does. And Harry Dean Stanton is like my dad in a couple of ways. He is like, for many years, for like 30 years, 
he was just a man of indeterminate old age. You were like, how old is he? He's old. That's all we know. He looks like someone just put leather bags on his face and they've been hanging (laughs) off for a hundred years. Yes. Yes. And he's very tall and he weighs like 75 pounds, you know? Yep, yep, yep. And my dad is exactly like that. And also he does this thing in that movie this is exactly what my dad did for my entire life, where he, like, shows up in the middle of the night after a night out drinking and wandering around, and he shows up with this weird gift for you, and you're like, where did this come from? Like, the yep. goblin market? Like, where did you get this? How did you find this horrible dress? Like, my dad brought me a milkshake machine once, like a restaurant-grade milkshake maker. Oh, that's, yep. that's actually a fantastic gift. <laughs> And then that happens in The Wrestler. That's the punchline. Sorry. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, my God, it's happening. It's that kind of a gift. <laughs> he brings the satin S jacket. Yeah. He's- yeah. And where you're like, where is this from? And who did you think it was for? But you're like, <laughs> I know that you're trying. <laughs> yeah. We have two interestingly skinned people in what you're talking yeah. about. We have Harry Deanston and we have Mickey Rourke. Yeah. 21st yes. century Mickey Rourke. Just the most yeah. fascinating. Skin. Sarah. So can we just start by you doing the thing where you tell us what this movie is about and then let's kick off from there all right i like that this has become our thing because i'm kind of defined by being bad at summarizing oh i i disagree you've evolved so quickly in the in the summary game Ah. no i like it i like to see what you think the movie's about (laughs) (laughs) that's such a good point because that really is a good reveal of character i always think about how according to my acting teacher dina janice back in the day (laughs) okay that's two first names but sure you know what some people only need two first names right stella adler according to her if she had a role as a maid in a play where she had like four lines someone would be like so what is the play about she'd be like it's about this maid wow i love that (laughs) i love that It's also a very Zen perspective, too. I'd love to know what you think this is about. Well, that's like, that's a great question for any Republican, you know, anyone in government. Well, I think also that's probably what we're like in real life. We're probably a side character in something. But to us, we're like, this is a this is a life about uh, someone who grew up in Florida with an alcoholic father. And it's like, well, no, there's like other main characters. I'm like, I don't think so. Yeah. It's like, what is America about? And it's like, what is what was 2020 about? About. And it's like, well, it's about how I bought this pocketbook and it was going exactly. to look really nice when I like traveled around town and I would go to interviews and I would be like, let me buy you coffee with this cute pocketbook that holds my phone. And then we had a fucking pandemic and I couldn't go anywhere <laughs> or use my cute wallet anywhere. And it all happened because I bought my pocketbook and I was so proud of myself. Yep. Okay. But the wrestler, in my opinion, is about a man named Randy. Randy, the Ram, something. Rammerstein. Ramstein. <laughs> Randy the Ram Robinson. <laughs> Ramstein. Yes. That makes sense. The Ram, Ram the Jam, Ramalam. Yeah. And he's an old wrestler. It is 20 years since his like great Madison Square Garden match with the Ayatollah, which is a really great 80s wrestler name. I want to say I feel like this movie was crafted with what appears to be great love from someone who, or multiple people who care about wrestling, mm. which seems to be more men than you would think. Totally. It's, the Ayatollah is based on the Iron Sheik. This is all based on a real cast of characters. Okay. So Randy, it's been 20 years since his peak. 
His body is kind of falling apart like the bluesmobile. We see how he kind of abuses his body for a living. He's trying to romance a stripper. And then in the end of the first act, he has a heart attack right after leaving the ring and has to have a bypass. The issue of him paying for the health care, I don't feel like that comes up. I was expecting something to happen at the pharmacy where he couldn't get the meds, but then... yeah. That's how jaded I am about the healthcare system. I was like, he's about to have a whole fight with the pharmacist about if he could pay for these meds, they're going to have to call the insurance. Just watch. This will be an indictment on the American healthcare system. <laughs> right. Then you just pick them up. So. Like Saw 6. <laughs> exactly. And I was just going to say at the time, you know, only Saw 6, a Canadian torture porn film, was brave enough to talk about American healthcare. So how dare you malign John Q like this? <laughs> There are other details that are a little shoddy, like don't get me started on his uh, recovery, like the amount of time it takes him to recover from a literal saw wound through his chest. But it's like the Dark Knight Rises. It's like when you when you break your back, you just need to do sit ups for like two weeks. You're great. Uh huh. So then what happens? So then he's like, oh, my God, I've been told not to wrestle because if I wrestle, I will probably die. And he's like, maybe I'll connect with my daughter. And so he tries to reconnect with his daughter, who's, first of all, like, fuck you. And then she's like, I don't know, I'll give you a chance. Which reminds me of the fact that my dad sent me a really sweet email after I was on On the Media the other day. And I was like, I don't know how to take this. And I, like, showed it to Alex, and he was like, wow, how do you feel? And I was like, I don't know. Let me tell you, that's the premise of this is why I chose The Wrestler. Yep. Your dad sends you a sweet email, and you don't know how to take this, and is it a trick of some kind? Yeah. Welcome to my life, baby. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. And so in the process of trying to get close to his daughter, he begins to get close to this stripper, played by Marissa Tomei, who is naked a lot in this movie, and maybe I'm projecting my feelings onto her, but I feel like it's really great that Marissa Tomei got in fantastic stripper shape and then was like, put it on film, boys, light it beautifully <laughs> and show the world. Give me an archive, an heirloom, if you will, of this, this beautiful stripper bod. She's in shape. Yeah. And that is part of it, that she is another character who has like a very distinct double life. This is, you know, la double vie de Mickey Rourke. And they both are people who live on the stage and then live backstage. Her body's falling apart, too. Like She's 36 years old. <laughs> She's an old lady. <laughs> She's younger than me in this movie. <laughs> Dying of old age. You know, the implication is she's put her body through it. Totally. She is on the last days of, of her ability to be a stripper, which... yeah. Sure. She's hearing it from the the same way that he's hearing it from mm -hmm. the fan base. It's not it's not going particularly well there. And I feel like for her, it's like the ageism and the psychological toll. Really, she reminds me of Elizabeth Shue in Leaving Las Vegas, mm -hmm. which we should do at some point. Her attitude is like, I have to draw this strong barrier between my work life and my home life because I want to protect myself and my child emotionally at home and not let in, you know the people or even the world of my work. And Randy's feeling is like, I only feel alive when I'm wrestling and my backstage life is just a support system for the wrestling. Yeah, he doesn't know how to survive out there, as he says, like a, like a soldier come home. Yeah, and so basically he's like trying to get close to his daughter 
he fucks it up and he's trying to get close to Marissa Tomei and toward the end she's like yes I I do want to get close to you but in a low moment he was like yes I will do this match this rematch against the Ayatollah 20 years later that I and the audience know will probably kill me and if it doesn't kill me then like this kind of thing will kill me soon and so to me the ending is like the promise of intimacy and connection with other human beings, notably the two women in his life, versus doing the profession that probably had something to do with the fact that his daughter hates him now Mm -hmm. and is killing him and destroying his body and is also the only thing that makes him feel alive, according to him. And that is my summary. Yeah. Do you think that he dies at the end? Yes, I think they did a Sopranos ending. Yeah, I think he dies. Because as we said, Marissa Tomei, she gives this speech about Passion of the Christ, Mm -hmm. which is very on the nose, where she's playing with his long hair. Mm -hmm. And she's like, quotes from the Passion of the Christ. And she talks about how they give Jesus like a beating and he just takes it. And she like admires that. And so Mickey Rourke, I know that that's Mickey Rourke's real hair. Wow. But Mickey Rourke is giving us trashy wrestler Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. He is sacrificing himself for all of our sins and all of his own sins. Hmm. And the speech he gives at the end where he's like, you're my family. You're the people that really care about me. He gives himself over. I mean, I don't know how much it matters whether he dies at the end. If he doesn't die in this case, he's going to die this way. Yeah. And we know that we've watched him made the choice. Mm -hmm. Totally. Which is like the Sopranos ending, right? In that like if he doesn't get shot there, he's getting shot somewhere. And I really thought this was going to have the Rocky ending. So I was like, this movie was nominated for a bunch of Oscars. But then the ending happened and I was like, wait, it didn't win a bunch of Oscars, though. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I love the passion take because I think that that's totally right on. I think that that's how it was made. I think that that's as subtle as Darren Aronofsky has the capability of being after seeing Mother. <laughs> but I think like also the thing that I noticed in a big way, you know, like post Trump America was like he's a forefather too. Like if you look at his hair, yes, right, and like look at him as representing just like a broken America that believed in its own myth for a super long time and then collapsed under its weight and at some point by just like continuing to try to be that is going to like finish its own collapse Mm. put that hair in a nice little george washingtonian style and he's a he's a 2020 or i guess at this point 20 uh, 2009 forefather all right so let's so okay gabby i'm also curious right because you are a person who has lived very very publicly for Mm -hmm. over a decade and this movie is about two takes on public living right there's the marissa tomei one which is she's like i maintain that character but i have to preserve a piece of myself and then there's mickey rourke who as the ram he can only live in that character like what about that tension spoke to you in your experience has someone ever asked if they can staple you (laughs) (laughs) um emotionally for sure emotionally and spiritually yeah well yes i think i started out as a mickey rourke where like i put everything out there too much. And I've, I mean, I've been writing about my own life probably like for 10 years, like you said, and I think I was very ambitious and I wanted that to be who I was. And so I put on this caricature that then I, I felt a little bit trapped by Mm. where I like didn't 
particularly like people would come at me to like talk about stuff and politically and I like didn't particularly want to fight them yeah but the persona I had created was like militant and also you're not one person all the time you're not Mm. this one character all the time so like I didn't have I felt any room to be vulnerable or any room to be like people thought that I was just like confident 24 7 and so it allowed them to treat me a certain way which was just like oh this won't hurt her feelings Mm. and also similar to the wrestler as he and I are the same (laughs) it affected romantic relationships my mom didn't particularly like me talking about the family you know my sister kind of had to get used to it and then I think in the last couple years I've I've really separated it and mm. it it came on the tails of like a resentment of the fan base. Mm. Yeah. I had built this fan base who I think expected a certain thing from me and then I like earlier this year like melted down and was like fuck all y'all. Mm-hmm. I hate you guys. And now I'm off Twitter because you can't just tell everyone to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> it's called an Irish goodbye. I just realized I pulled back and my therapist was like, you've become a more private person because one, I realized the thing that Lindy West always talks about, which is like, I don't know how writers got tricked into giving their writing away or their thoughts away on Twitter for free, but we Mm. used to get paid for that stuff. Well, not very much though. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. And it would take a year to get the check in the mail, but I was like, that's right. Like if I have a strong enough feeling about something, I'll just pitch an article. And then someone will give me money or I'll put it in a screenplay or I'll put it I'll put it in a book or something. So that requires a lot of patience, which I did not previously have. And also, like, I got resentful of how quickly the fan base will turn on you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's no context for anyone. So, like, the last time they saw you is who you are. Mm-hmm. Like Pompeii. And then you're frozen <laughs> that way forever. And you better have been not doing something embarrassing. Yeah. I should have hugged cooler, like... <laughs> <laughs> I think I got distracted. I was like, that's not what it's about. You know, at the end where he's like, you guys are my family. You're who matters and and all that. Like, I didn't want to be that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that stood out immediately to me in this movie is like this, you know, this movie came out what 2008 so it was like after twitter's first year basically and like now i'm I'm so conscious of all these kids who are going to be on tiktok and have to learn how to be public in one way or another and not just in a like be public but like be famous quickly sort of way and so i in a way i didn't pay attention before to that Mm. the discourse that this movie's having with if not fame how we occupy Mm -hmm. a public face and what that means there is a lot there parasocial i mean they think they know you and it's my not my fault but if they're like your boyfriend that you had in boston in 2008 and it's like someone i don't know i talked about that like whose fault is that or you know the demanding of information like what happened to your ex-girlfriend where'd she go why did you break up it's even on podcasts i think it's easy to think you know the person because you're listening to their voice oh yeah you know what i've presented and how i what mood i was in that day And even outside of what you're presenting is if you're presenting it to some degree what the market demanded at the time. So which we have Mickey Rourke now taking staples in his chest because that's what the market demands at his level of notoriety. And then 20 years ago, it was to maintain the kind of pace that leads to you leaving your family and just doing drugs in order to keep up. 
The guy with the staples is like the new bloods, like the TikTokers who are like, if you don't have beautiful transitions and you're like making content that's like this kind of thing, then you're irrelevant. And you have to give away more and more of yourself. All the time, yeah. It's hard. I don't want to like get so into this, but like my partner is trans and I posted a video of them on TikTok and it had like a I kind of always get these people these men in my dms who are very upset that I'm a feminine presenting person who dates masculine presenting people who are not men so sure they like are very like I don't get it like if you're gonna date women why not date women who look like women and that's like <gasps> a frequent refrain wow See, I get annoyed when people are like, you have to do an episode on Chernobyl. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> it's like you're a character on a long-running TV show. They're like, dear Grey's Anatomy, have Gabby date a lipstick lesbian, please. Yes. I will stop watching if you don't. <laughs> I'm a character in their show. That really sucks. If I'm not with someone that they like, they like don't ship it. And I'm like, I'm glad you don't ship it, but it's very weird. But like, it's my life so like it's not for you to ship there's something about everything being content on somewhat the same level which maybe has been increased in the past year because big movies are gone everything's the same size wrestlers are the original of that huh yes especially in modern american wrestling which it goes back to i just we, last year for my other podcast did something on like a regional wrestling in america and it, its popularity goes back to like right before the second world war and these people have had to occupy exactly as, as gabby's saying right now like a space that people have long been debating how real and how not real it is in, in transgressing boundaries with them all the time. Wrestlers are YouTubers. Yeah. Because there's people that they have history with and drama with and they go on stage yes. and they're like, I'm coming for you, exposed. <laughs> <laughs> I have all the tea. I'm the tea pourer. <laughs> At least with soap operas, you kind of have the idea that it's not real because it's a TV show, although yeah. I know that people who watch soap operas fully think that they're real, I think, sometimes. But even with our YouTube channel, what we would do would be like clearly... A scripted comedy like clearly sketches that me and Allison Raskin and I were doing okay so we shot one thing where like this guy from BuzzFeed played Allison's boyfriend and like she had run into him somewhere and that was the sketch and in a tv show you could reasonably be like oh okay so they that's the tv plot but people were like oh my god how did you see Nick how did you just happen to be filming when Nick walked up that is the level wrestling is like a soap opera drama why was there one where it was like this guy's dating Vince McMahon's daughter and like that's a whole drama and Vince McMahon hates it and like all this stuff which like now to me is like pretty much exactly what YouTube is right totally <laughs> You know, it's like the people who confuse social constructs with like not real. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not, that's not how it works. But you know what? None of those wrestlers were quite as real as, as Tana Mojo. None of them got up there and literally got married. Uh, obsessed. Unless someone did. And I didn't, and I, I'm sure a wrestler got married in the ring at some point, actually. That must have happened. Yes, it happened in 1994, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, Alex, who got married? <laughs> I think Randy Savage got married in the ring in 94. Oh, no. I think I like I watched a video about it not long ago. 
Well, there you go. That's wonderful. That makes sense. <laughs> Sorry, it was Randy Savage in 91. Sorry, I led you astray. Well, come on. That was pretty good, Alex, for someone who can't remember the name of someone who was in a movie he just saw. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's my defining character. The best thing about this show, I think, is that Alex just reveals over and over that he is a dad, like he is a dad <laughs> at heart, mm-hmm. because he cannot remember what anything is called <laughs> if, he, if it happened, like, you know, before... 2000, 2005. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's generous. <laughs> <laughs> Gabby, you said some of this resonated. Mm-hmm. I was initially nervous that we'd have to talk about how accurate this portrayal was because mm. uh, I think Sarah's, Sarah, I mean, Sarah had some resonant stories at the front end. My dad, Pathos, was very different, was dry drunk different. I'm curious to know, you know, a lot of this I was like, that feels a little convenient in the timeline, but I'd love to know what your take is and and just tell us a bit about the story in the movie as it as it resonates with you i mean i think it's a choice to give a guy like that a daughter Mm. especially a lesbian daughter which is i think a little bit implied or at least in his opinion maybe that she is a lesbian because she hates men because of him Hmm. which is kind of what I got from it. Evan Rachel Wood, queer actress, so that's cool. But my sister and I, we have the same mom, and then he's got two other kids from other women. And my mom would say as, like, a joke when we were younger that, like, my dad having two daughters was, like, his punishment Hmm. for how he behaved. Hmm. That's a thing people say a lot in a weird way. Yep, they do. About, like, how girls are hard? What is that? It's because my dad was, like, a drunk and a skirt chaser, and, like, so, like, he now has two girls who have to deal, who might have to deal with men like him. That's the joke. Mm. It's like a karmic curse. How did you feel about that? (sighs) Um, yeah, I don't know, because I did end up queer. Mm. I did date... It's like so cliche. Like, yes, I did date alcoholics, you know, Mm. like that's that's the rub. Well, you know how to relate. You know how to relate to them. My therapist would say, yes, I'm recreating my family cycle. Yeah, Mm. I am used to a behavior that is comfortable to me. So I pursue it because I know how to handle it. And Mm. that is the role that I fit into in my family. So I recognize it and I and I am able to seamlessly fit into it. So. My dad doesn't really have a lot of boundaries. Um, Mm. And so it's never been a hush-hush thing. Like, I always know what he was up to or what, you know, he tells old stories and things like that. But in some ways, it is emotional and inconvenient to me Mm -hmm. where, like, it's not taking place at the right time. Like, he'll tell me something huge over, like, a buffet breakfast at a Hilton, and I'll be like, why are we doing this? Mm. Yeah, It's on his timeline. I love him a lot. He and my mom are still married. He's in my life. But I've made jokes that, like, I could be standing on the Golden Gate Bridge about to kill myself, and he'd call me, and it would take maybe 45 minutes for him to say, where are you? Are you busy? How are you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a lot of popping in when it's convenient for him, which is what I related to with um, Stephanie and, and Mickey Rourke's character, where, yeah. you know, she's like, I'm walking to school. I'm busy. And he's yeah. like, yeah, but I want to talk to you now. Like, I'm here now. And he's like, I had a heart attack. And it's like... Yes. And we just talked about this with Magnolia, how this character in media, we need stories that show that this is such a real place to be in 
where you're like, I don't care that you had a fucking heart attack if you're gonna use it as leverage with me to now like suddenly decide to try. Also triggering, like she goes, I'm in school. And he goes, you're in school? Oh, that's great. Sir, follow-up question. What are you <laughs> studying? Do you like it? Yeah. The parentalizing young, I think mm-hmm. there's like also the implication of she kind of keeps saying like, you are supposed to take care of me. You're the dad. Mm-hmm. With an addict parent, they're a little out of it. So you're putting things away when they go to bed or you're, I was often dealt with my little sister. And so I think there's resentment there too. But I also like, I don't know what it's like to have a regular dad. Like I have no idea. I don't think anyone knows. Nobody knows. It's a rare thing when someone has someone who seemed to be together and the drama was relatively minimal and they had boundaries and they they didn't. Yeah, it seems very rare. Well, and also like that is not the mean or the median or the mode. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. He'll tell me everything. He'll he gave me as a gift for one of my birthdays. I guess the lawyer had given it to him and he found it in his stuff. The written confession that's four pages long that he wrote in 1975 when he was arrested by the FBI for drugs. Wow. It ended up he got off on a technicality, hmm. which is like the wiretap that they had used to tap his house was actually illegal. Yeah. Is your dad like a just out of frame character in Goodfellas? Yeah. Apparently, they put him on the news, and so that's how my grandparents found out. Wow. Wow. In terms of, like, family secrets and stuff or whatever, I mean, he gave me that and was like, you should frame it. Like, he was like, this is history or whatever. (laughs) And I didn't hate it. I kind of loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, this is so wild. Well, that's, I mean, that's the interesting thing about this guy, about the Ram, right, is that suggested to us that Evan Rachel Wood character is not just there's this sort of reverse parenting thing, but we get a glimpse through her partner's response that Mm -hmm. her impulse is a codependent impulse, right? Like, her impulse is to get drawn into it against all of her, all of her caution that she has Mm because she knows what's going to happen, but she can't stop herself from being involved which is mm-hmm. which is something that's very subtly conveyed but like if you have any history with these kinds of behaviors you're like oh, I fucking know what's going on there and when she's crying and she says I don't care I don't hate you I don't love you I don't care mm-hmm. but she's still crying so she does care yeah absolutely you can't get out of it also this is such a good based on what you had just talked about in the illustration of him as a father right him also as a as a prospective lover he says what he's going through on his own terms he goes and interrupts marissa tomei at work Mm -hmm. while she's working to to, on several occasions to just bear his soul which i think a lot of friends of mine in uh, you know marissa tomei's position say happens to them a lot Mm -hmm. he doesn't even know she has a kid and he's like i'm in love with her or whatever you know he like has put all this on to her but then he's never asked her it doesn't seem like he's asked her any questions about herself it would be great to make a list of movies that could be summarized as like a man with no boundaries tries to find love because that's also as good as it gets which like swept the oscars in my recollection which is wild the worst reviews that we get on iTunes are people who are like, they talk about the same kinds of dads and it's the same kinds of problems. They talk about the same kind of baggage and it happens. So I've, there was only one, but I've been dwelling on it for like three months. But <laughs> this interestingly shows this other kind of flawed dad, which is the dad without boundaries that t- says everything. And a lot of people think mm-hmm. that they want their parents to say everything to them or mm-hmm. say anything to them. There is another side to that. And this is that guy. It's also, <laughs> 
a little bit of like a Jewish Italian thing hmm. because I have experienced people being like your family talks over each other and everybody's yelling to get their story and you got to keep fighting till you somebody backs down and and then like I'll have friends who are wasps who are like we literally sit at dinner silently American beauty straight up every time and then yeah. you know someone drowns in the pool mysteriously <laughs> <laughs> we just all quietly murder each other it's much more civilized with mind bullets you guys probably talk about just oversimplify there's like two dads which is like the the stoic dad who doesn't give you anything and doesn't Mm -hmm. tell you anything and is distant and the dad who is a bit too involved and who has no Mm -hmm. boundaries and who treats you because he treated me like a friend yeah like I definitely felt strong roommate vibes growing up <laughs> yeah. my dad's and my best moments were strong roommate vibes well and, and when you have a dad that is sort of characterized in the way sarah that you sometimes characterize your dad in being withdrawn and quiet and, and simmering in some ways mm-hmm. sometimes the best case scenario is when they break through and become room you know you just don't want that mm-hmm. roommate all the time but when they shine through and you see them accidentally be a person who can relate to you that's lovely yeah is it lovely am i assigning that well I'm, no i'm thinking about this because the way it broke down for me And he was, like, never described as an alcoholic in my home. Like, my mom wouldn't call him that. Like, we don't talk about him that way. He, of course, is. And the times when he was demonstrative would often be when he was, like, maudlinly drunk, you Mm -hmm. know? And so I was like, I don't really want this because it's, like, there's all this affection, but it's also mixed in with, like, everything else. And he's, like, here. And you're like, I'm a teenager, man. Like, Jesus Christ. You know, and it's like someone talking to you, like, bar talk. Exactly. Yes. You know, like, when you've been drinking with some teamster for four hours. And that's why I do so well with drunk teamsters now. One thing that I'm, like, weirdly good at is, like, knowing how to deal with, like, maudlinly drunk old men. I'm just like, hello, this is, I cut my teeth on this interaction. Yeah. (laughs) Because he's the main character, I went back and forth on feeling bad that the daughter was so mean to him. But, like, that is my own trauma, maybe, where I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, maybe he deserves a chance. We just aren't shown very much. That's the thing. If you remove her Mm -hmm. and think about just how sad, I love this man. I love, I I love the Ram. I love him. I love him at his best at the deli. I love him in the room with all the guys when they're getting ready for the different matches. Like, yeah. But alcoholics, great with strangers oh sure Mm. wonderful with strangers not good with any my dad again i love him i I don't know if he's gonna listen to this he has sponsees he loves these sponsees he talks to them all the time he has great relationships with them and i in my little resentful heart sometimes go you have a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why do you need 10 sponsees? It's like, you know, I already wrecked that kid. I kind of want to start fresh with new kids. These people are new. Yes, I know that. And I think that also speaks to the conversation of like being known thing is it's a lot easier, even in the shittiest moments, it can be a lot easier to like be known than to have to like deal with the people who are already in your life. Mm-hmm. Yes. I feel like I can see the little boy this guy was, right? Oh, and then yeah. just the world happens to this guy 
guy. He cannot connect with anyone. He we see what he does when confronted with, you know, it, what is it called when he does what he does, which is when he's confronted with like one fracture in his life being he fucked up the thing with his daughter and then he fucked up the thing with Tomei and he just destroys everything around him he purposely cuts his finger or maybe you know maybe not purposely i can't remember he knocks everything out he quits he yells he has a temper tantrum i recognize the shit Mm -hmm. out of that but he seems to have this sparkle where you're like oh this fucker man like doomed this guy was doomed and he took everyone down around him Mm -hmm. and there's the thing of calling everyone brother which also i think might just be the way mickey rock talks yeah yeah, mickey rock (laughs) Hey, sweetheart. Hey, honey. Hey, brother. Like, so charming. Yeah. He calls strangers and everyone brother, but he can't take care of his own family, man. Alex, I was texting you, but Gabby, I was texting you more frantically because you were hearing this anew. But something I thought about looking at Mickey Rourke in this movie, and I love Mickey Rourke. I do not want to make fun of him because people have made fun of him enough, but he looks weird in this movie he looks like he's let some people do like he looks like he let some plastic surgeons do some stuff they wanted to try out on his face (laughs) i think he had some boxing injuries supposedly that they tried to reconstruct his his face from it getting pummeled a bunch and drugs well that certainly makes sense for the character and that's not his fault and so it's you know it's how he looks and i feel like that is amazing leading man material for this role and i think i love him in this role you know this is the experience that i think more actors who have also given their lives to the craft yeah. in some way like more people should have a chance to like step up and have one great chance to bear their soul without dying in the ring which is what this movie really was i think but also i sent gabby the henry rollins routine that i love so much that always makes me I I remember finding it when I was like 19 and depressed and it made me laugh so much. And the things that make me laugh when I'm sad just have a special role in my life. And this is one of them. And it's about going to see Rat, the band Rat, on a reunion tour and the look that like old sober rockers have. Gabby, what? tell me, describe this routine as someone who's just encountered it. Yeah, so it's Henry Rollins and he's talking about going to see Rat, which did the the song Round and Round that um, Mickey Rourke and Marissa Tomei sing in the bar. Right. Where they talk about how Kurt Cobain's a pussy. (laughs) And I have a soft spot for this music, truly. But he's talking about how he went to see Rat and he's explaining that the way they look and he talks about how... It reminds him of uh, when your family has an iguana and the the iguana gets loose and dies in the house. And then years later, you're cleaning out the back of the TV stand and you find the dead iguana. And he describes it as having skin like thin parchment and weighing four ounces and just being shriveled. That's a whole aside for him to explain what the members of Rat look like. Yeah. I mean, and we also just, on your wrong about, talked about Dee Snyder testifying at the PMRC hearing, speaking of another wonderful long-haired man. And it looks like Mickey Rourke here. True. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like, you know, hair metal and wrestling are like two places, and I love how this movie depicts this. I love how it shows how hard Randy works Mm -hmm. to look, you know, how expensive it is to look this cheap, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. These are two arenas where men got to use their bodies expressively and have long hair and be these glamorous figures, you know, going back to gorgeous George, really, and to be objectified 
have their fans like project things onto their physical selves Mm -hmm. in a way that as a woman, I really empathize with, you know, I love that his love interest is a stripper because of course we have like the whole second life parallel, but also like they are working in similar fields. Like they do have similar traumas because of that. Like he can respect what she does because he also basically does that. And the emotional labor of wrestling is part of it. Their respective expiration dates are actually interestingly placed, whereas hers is in her mid thirties. And how old is he here? Like seventy five. Like how old is? <laughs> I think he's like fifty. <laughs> Obviously, they're they're due to different reasons, but they're due to the same reason, just at different stages. And it's a similar fan base. Yeah, it's portrayed lovingly. I think a lot of times, low income people are portrayed in a way that is cartoonish Mm. i like the way that the wrestling fans are portrayed lovingly Mm -hmm. i i feel like sometimes the person playing the part is doing like low-income theater Mm. where like i think that mickey rourke really like embodies that sort of i don't know i just felt i didn't feel i i didn't feel as someone who a little bit comes from that i didn't feel mocked in any way Mm. he felt like a guy my dad would have come over from aa Mm. Well, you know, Marissa Tomei's character felt like someone my dad would know. I guess a lot of times people get up in arms about, like, the portrayal of quote-unquote white trash. Mm. Mm. But I like, like Sarah said, that it shows how expensive it is for him to, like, keep his luscious hair and his tan and the girl at the bar who says, like, my brother had a poster of you. It was, like, a pretty hot poster that he had to look hot in these posters, Mm. like a Playboy girl. Oh, yeah. Like Tiger Beat for boys who are slightly older. And that we understand his fan base to be, like, little boys and the men that they grew up into and, and men who, like, feel like little boys around him. And their sisters who love firefighters. Yeah, and their sisters who have a firefighter <laughs> fetish. <laughs> Do you, have you ever seen Heavy Metal Parking Lot? So I have not. Do yourself a favor and watch Heavy Metal Parking Lot. It's like a 30-minute documentary, maybe, that was made outside a Judas Priest concert. Mm. It's in Maryland, I think. So everyone has really incredible accents. Or DC, DC. Mm. It's these people interviewing the fans that are in the parking lot, like waiting to go into the show. Mm-hmm. Each person is such a character. You know, they're like, fuck Madonna. Madonna sucks. Like Rob Halford forever. And like Judas Priest is going to go forever, man. And like just there's one girl who they're like, who's your favorite? And she's like, I love Rob Halford. And they're like, if Rob Halford was here right now, what would you do? He's, I'd probably jump his bones. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a moment in time because also people were not used to, to being recorded. Right. They have no inhibitions, like, and they're drunk and high. Even before just the last 10 years, like, if you took video of someone, they'd be like, where will this end up? Where will it go? And you're like, usually the answer was nowhere or, like, B-roll or something. And now it's like, it is, like, somewhere immediately. So I feel like just... Yeah, they, people just used to be, like, trusting gazelles, didn't they? Do you recognize any of those people in this movie, more or less? Yes. And they're talking the way that he's talking. Like, I could see that he maybe would have been in Heavy Metal Parking Lot when he was younger. Like, and Marissa Tomei, too. Like, it's they're talking the same way. The MTV is kind of happening, and they're, like, they hate pop, and they hate all these things. And they're, like, Kurt Cobain's a fucking pussy, and Judas Priest and Metallica forever. They essentially express that that, that decade was an enemy of people who wanted to have a good time Mm. 
Gabby, have you seen American Juggalo? No, I haven't. Yeah, I want to watch that. Sarah, American Juggalo is, is the same thing, but at the Gathering of the Juggalos. It's very similar in format. It's 20 minutes. It's from 2011. It certainly finds characters, but it treats everyone, I feel like, with some degree of love because Sean Dunn, I think, is the name of the guy who, who made it made another movie right after about people who are dealing with oxy addiction, like his father. So he it felt like it was coming from a place of love, but it's like, I can't wait like 10 years from now to find out where everyone is and how they feel about being an American juggalo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering how intentional it is that rat was the band, because I remember watching in the, in the movie, sorry, mm-hmm. that rat is using the scene because I, the rat behind the music, which must've come out in the late nineties mm. was the first story I remember watching in which someone I remember not long ago in my life being very famous was now a guy who puts up billboards yeah, and I was like, "Oh, like that happens very fast." Like, that, <laughs> like, like round and round came out I think in 1989 or 1990, maybe a little bit beforehand, and like it is 10 years later, and he's putting up billboards. Holy shit! They're not a super well-known mm-hmm. band. Like they are in that scene, but it's not. They're not Metallica. They're not Judas Priest. You know, they're not Guns N' Roses. Yeah, hair metal bands and like wrestlers are one of the areas where men can see. As we can see in, in women who work as like, you know, backup dancers and playmates and, and stuff or child stars is that like, oh, oh, you're disposable. Mm-hmm. Like my love for you has been the wrong right. kind of love. And I was part of this. Mm-hmm. The fact that we imagine anyone who has that kind of prominence or that kind of radio play or whatever, like has to be made like very rich by that. And it's like, no, a lot of these people got screwed mm-hmm. or by multiple times a lot of the time, actually. Yeah. It's the scene of Randy um, selling his wares at that little table. It's him selling the T-shirts yeah. and selling mm. the Polaroids. And I thought the Polaroids was such a great touch. Yes. Yeah. And selling the VHS tapes and him sort of looking at the other mm-hmm. guys there and and seeing that they damaged their bodies. I mean, it's like NFL players. Oh, yeah. They play their heroes and then they, you know, have problems stemming from concussions or their I mean, I dated mm-hmm. a, a guy who was a, a college athlete and years later when we dated, he had back problems that he would have for the rest of his life. Yeah. You kind of like wear your body out until it dies and then and then everyone forgets about you. And how do you keep that going? You start hosting The View, like Good Morning America or whatever you do. Right. You brought up the beautifully Aronofsky-esque on the nose Passion of the Christ read. Tell us more about why that grabbed you in this viewing. He's a dad to everyone, but the people in his immediate life. Mm. It's like Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Uh-huh. Obviously, the father is God, but... He's like a Christ figure to these people. And he gives this speech at the end to all of these fans who maybe didn't have like strong male role models around because their own dads were off doing the same stuff that the Ram was. Or that was maybe one of the big ways they connected with their fathers was through wrestling because sports seems to be a way that dads and sons connect and even my dad and my sister connect mostly over the Miami heat (laughs) and so he is like a figure that has to I, I think he had to die it's like that thing where this is like morbid but Paul McCartney went on to be a little bit made fun of but John Lennon died a hero and people did not like his solo music that much either Lennon yeah yeah of course but nobody cares about that now 
Mm-hmm. He can't be a dad to his real daughter. And that resonated with me because like everyone in AA loves my dad. Mm. He has like these meetings that he runs that are like very themed and cool. And he like called me to tell me that people in his meeting are like, you're a legend, Mark. And like all this stuff. He wears a cowboy hat while he hosts the meetings. And he plays Spirit in the Sky to open the meeting. That's amazing. (laughs) But I feel disconnected from that person. Mm -hmm. Right, of course. So it's hard. I I had a secret brother uh, that we found out about in 2017. And so he's in his 40s. And so he grew up without my dad. My dad really likes him a lot. Because he gets to start over. I really like him. I'm ha- I'm happy with this new brother. He's he's great. But it's like I felt a little resentment when he showed up because I was like, you got to skip all the alcoholic years, yeah. yeah, and you just showed up when he's like sober and wants to just post memes about spirituality on his Instagram. What a cool version of him you've gotten. Well, don't you think that's part of like third wife resentment? Yes, like we have these kind of constructs about how it's bad to be a trophy wife and whatever. But also I think like in a much more real way, it's like, why do you get to waltz in and like marry someone who's already like sowing all their wild oats and like lost most of their Mm -hmm. steam for like emotionally abusing people or whatever their thing is and is just kind of like settled down and like not a nightmare anymore. And Sarah, we've talked about, but I'm that person in my family. I'm the person that a lot of my siblings. You're the third wife. I'm the third wife of my dad in the children arena. Yeah. <laughs> You're the youngest? You're the new kid? He's the baby. I'm the youngest from, from a separate marriage. Oh, uh, well, good for you. Well, I'm that also, but my dad had not mellowed out. So sometimes it doesn't take, you know. Well, that's the thing is like, I have so much more empathy for that position in my siblings now than I ever did because it was I was always like why didn't you just deal and now I know I have a show about it but like why didn't you just deal with him rather than transfer all your anxiety to me I didn't get it I didn't do it but I'm like now I totally got it. how the fuck you can't deal with him mm-hmm. I'm a lot easier to deal with and resent <laughs> <laughs> I'd resent me too fuck this kid <laughs> yeah yeah and he gets to present himself to the new brother as whatever he wants right which is like having fans like you know your fans are able to love you uncritically you never miss their birthday you can't fail them in the way that you fail your child and you must imagine that that your kids who you want to can see that and see how cool you are too not realizing the specific damage you Mm -hmm. did like can't you see all these people who love me that's part of it that's why he calls to tell me how much everyone at AA loves him yeah it's him asking can you do that yeah. It's hard, especially with alcoholism, because he's like, well, I'm not that person anymore. And I'm like, yeah, but I was there. Right. But you were. And it's like, but if you loved me, you could forget about this. And it's like, but I can't. Right. He always talks about how it doesn't matter what happened in the past because of who he is now. Yeah. Both of those things matter. Like, this is not this is not a mattering contest where only one, where two matters enter and one matter leaves. Like, they both right. matter. <laughs> That's such a good way to put it. I think it's also interesting. I just want to point out one thing that Marissa Tomei's, the dad of her kid is not in the picture. Yeah. And that he, the kid is playing with a Ram action figure that he gave her 
And it's like that's the kind of thing that like a stepdad would get yeah. you. Mm. A toy of himself. Yep. And it, yeah. My dad would. <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting that she doesn't have a, a dad for the son. We know who the father is in this movie. Who is the daddy? I've been thinking about this. I think this takes place in a daddyless universe because yeah. there's the Ram and then there's like smaller men than him. His boss is Todd Berry, I think. Yeah, I know, totally. Is that Todd Berry? Yeah, it is. Wild. <laughs> Judah Friedlander makes a cameo. Aronofsky skipped on down to the comedy cellar and just picked up a couple <laughs> actors. We're making a movie. Yeah, but I mean, the impact that has is that his, bo- his boss can be an asshole, but it's Todd Berry being an asshole. So it's not like he's, you know, mm. this isn't like a Citizen Ruth, Kurtwood Smith at the hardware store type situation. Like It's Todd Berry at the, at the Aldi. Yeah. <laughs> this is a man who's being oppressed by his own demons and like the economy and his failing body, but not really by other men actively. And there's not like a male authority figure who I feel like he has mm. to appeal to. Or I guess there's like his younger self, really. Is that yeah. for him? That's what he's trying to live up to and return to. But I would, I'm going to invoke Clementine's law and say that Marissa Tomei is the mommy in this because she's like making the right call for herself and her kid to create a sustainable life and like doing what she needs to do to parent. And I appreciate her. Yeah. In doing the right thing and then like taking a ri- risk to be vulnerable and being let down in a real sad way. And then being like, okay, I got to move on now because this guy is on a suicide mission and uh, I can't come with him on that. Yeah. I was going to say Marissa Tomei as well. And I would like to give props to my own mm. mom. And um, it is a daddyless movie. Mm. I mean, is, is Evan Rachel Wood's girlfriend? <laughs> yeah. like? Yeah, Evan Rachel Wood's girlfriend is the closest for sure. If Evan Rachel Wood's girlfriend is the only person with boundaries. She's the only one who knows vampire law. <laughs> you know, that? oh my God, the poster, the big poster in their apartment is Vampire Weekend. Ah. Oh, my God, that's so awesome. oh, Darren. I rewound it to look at the posters in there. Okay. Um, oh yeah, I always look at the posters if I can. So yeah, so she, she obviously knows about vampires. I just thought she's the one with boundaries. I related to her mm. so much as a someone who like sees partners with their toxic families and have to be like, this is bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the only person who's healthy in this entire movie. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I would not have said that beforehand, but I absolutely agree. I've been on both sides of that relationship and have been frustrated as that person and frustrated by that person reminding me of boundaries I should have. And, uh, Mm -hmm. the person who plays that character and that character is, is an unsung hero of this movie. Yeah. Has three lines. And those are the healthiest lines in the whole movie. (laughs) And it is like, it's one of the things that makes this movie bearable or just, you know, it puts it because like sometimes you're watching a movie and you're like, this is a bleak fucking universe. And just everyone's against this guy. Everyone sucks. And that to me is not realistic. Mm -hmm. But like this to me is like it is a realistically depressing movie. And it's a movie in which like clues about the existence of healthy relationships are being given to you, which I think is important. If we're going to talk about how this guy has failed, like I think it's it's good to talk about like, by the way, like you can cut parents out of your life partly because you were trying to teach yourself in a way that having a relationship with them at this time would conflict with that like relationships can be different than what you have had with them. Yeah. And it gives us the history of their relationship really succinctly through this mm. character. Yeah. Who like, you know, has had 
Evan Rachel Wood crying on her shoulder a lot. Oh, yeah. And they're showing it. They're not telling it. I do feel like this would be a good, like, screenwriting school movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Gabby, where do you want to direct people who want to know more about you? Where can people find more Gabby? Uh, I would um, first direct them to what you sent me, which is Mickey Rourke's Spirit Awards oh, yeah. uh, speech. <laughs> Incredible. Um, as I said, I, too, would dedicate my entire speech to hyping up Eric Roberts. Uh, you can find me at Gabby Road on Instagram. And I have a podcast called Just Between mm. Us, which Sarah has been on talking about the satanic panic. And I have a podcast called Bad With Money. Ooh, um, yes. And I also have some books, a Bad With Money book and a comic book called Bury the Lead, which is a crime noir comic book so just just look me up i got a lot of stuff Mm, you're so cool right on we'll put links in the show notes i think that's the first time we've said that in 25 episodes but we will do that also i gotta add gabby i know that obviously your instagram handle is an abbey road pun but whenever i see it i think of holiday road by lindsey buckingham and then i sing gabby road oh i love that most people just say most people just say i thought this username was gay broad well that's good too (laughs) the end All right, everybody, that is it for this episode of Why Our Dads. Thank you so much to Gabby for being on the show. We had a blast. I can't even tell you how much fun we had. You heard it. You were there. We want to thank Carolyn Kendrick, who is our producer and our music director. On weeks that we were lucky, she performed some music for the show. We had Bruce Springsteen's The Wrestler, which uh, that's the song that she sang. (laughs) She was joined by Ethan Hawkins, who we talked about at the beginning of the episode. Uh, He's in the band. Corner House and you can find Caribou Party their upcoming album at Corner House's Bandcamp so just find Corner House on Bandcamp look for Caribou Party I'm sure pre-order do something along those lines and support this great band we want to thank of course Fresh Lush for the beats Lush provides beats for all of our episodes and we appreciate it it makes all of our transitions sound wonderful thank you so much Lush Fresh Lush provides our beats thank you Clueless is our next episode we're talking with uh, Christopher Thomas we had so much fun putting that episode together we have a lot of great episodes coming up subscribe uh, rate review do all of the things that you possibly can to support a podcast like ours find us on social media we're on instagram we're on twitter i think that's all the information you need from me for now thanks for joining us we really appreciate it